Welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set. Today we have two of your main hosts. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. And we have a very special guest, uh, Josh Feinblatt, who joined us for the massive weight of... (laughs) (laughs) Unbearable weight of massive talent. Massive weight. (laughs) How How much pasta did you eat today, Mike? Welcome back to another episode of Chaos on the Set. Today we have two of your main hosts here. I'm Mike. I'm Shruti. And we have a very special guest, Josh Feinblatt. Josh recently joined us for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. And for today's episode, he now becomes one of our recurring guests, a very exclusive (laughs) club. It's not that exclusive. (laughs) It's kind of exclusive. And the reason why he is here is because, like me, he shares an adoration for today's film. And I live with Shruti. <laughs> and you live with Shruti. But more so, more importantly, an adoration of today's film. One of the great comedies of the 2000s. One of the great Will Ferrell performances. And for perhaps one of the best sports films ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> the highest growth, the highest grossing soccer movie of all time. And you know what? Is that it's, true? Wow. It is. And That's sad. <laughs> suck it. Bend it like Beckham. As, as soccer fans, you guys should be insulted. And, but here's the thing. <laughs> no. I'm going to say it's the highest grossing football movie of all time. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Well, the film is 2005's Kicking and Screaming, starring Will Ferrell and Robert Duvall. Now, before we even begin, I'm going straight to Shruti. Oh, no. <laughs> Just get it out of the way. Tell us about get how much. Get it out of the way. It's get it out of the, the way because. Laughing. No, be, I know, but let's get. you want to kick me off halfway through, I'm going to keep saying my opinions the whole time. I know, but you're going to be wrong about them. So let's just get it out of the way now and just briefly tell us why you hate this film so much. I and then we can get into the okay, specifics. I don't hate the movie. I, I honestly think the enormous amount of passion that y'all had and kate kate is very upset to be missing this movie she was like i can't believe i'm missing kicking and screaming i'm so sad to the point where i was like i mean my schedule is a little difficult to record this weekend do y'all just want to record without me and kate was like no 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 it's fine and so i was like going into this movie like all of y'all love it and it's just mediocre to subpar like i feel like it's a lot of sketches baked together but it doesn't actually feel like it feels like a movie where like if I had left the room and come back like it was on cable I would have understood the whole movie and it almost felt like I was leaving and coming back even though I was watching the movie start to finish because it just feels so disjointed here's a sketch that's not really funny now we're gonna play tetherball and it's not gonna be that funny and just like over and over again until the end no but the entire story is is building around both this this great comeback story for the soccer team but at the same time, dissecting the father-son relationship between Will Ferrell and Robert but do Duvall. They, do and they it's, even mend their relationship? Yeah. By the end, he doesn't accept the Pele ball, and they go into business it's together. No, no, no. Will Ferrell, I think, uh, agrees to let his dad be a shitty person. But his dad doesn't realize how shitty of a dad he's been his whole life and make any amends to that. I, I would argue that letting uh, Phil in on the family business and finally accepting that he sells vitamins. They seem like they're in good spirits together. And That's all I'm saying. It's just, it's a very clear indication that, I, Josh, I love you to death, but... It's funny that you love this movie that ends on the line, we love balls, and you think it's the funniest thing in the world. And for me, it's just 
fine to maybe bad. <laughs> no, I I laugh every two minutes, every single scene throughout this movie. I'm laughing, and I just have to point out, even though the the Rotten Tomato score is terrible, I will say you are the first person in my life that I've actually met face to face that dislikes this movie. Le- legitimately, the first. I, everyone I know, I you agree. say this, you say kicking and screaming. They start quoting it. They love it. I did an Instagram poll. Are they all your age? Are they all your age? Mainly, but, like, my parents love this movie. Your parents don't uh, count. I'm sorry. <laughs> my okay. parents love Marry Me. <laughs> I just learned okay. this this well, weekend. Okay, that that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but, okay, I don't, I don't... So, okay, wait. Explain your Instagram poll. I just did one of those rating scales, like, one to five stars, and I think right now it's averaging, like, a 4.5. And almost and and I would say, oh my god, four point five. Well, okay, I didn't vote okay, in but it. there's like thirty respondents, <laughs> and like twenty out of the thirty have it all the way five stars, much like myself and Josh. I mean, maybe, maybe. Okay, let's let's be clear. Mike posted this on his Insta story. First, he posted his own five star yeah. Letterbox review, which, by the way, Mike has been not reviewing movies on Letterbox for the better yeah, part which, of a year. Which, so the fact that he finally rated a movie on letterbox which tells you how much of a banger this is i know but like if you post that on your instagram story followed by asking people to rate it people i.e like me who didn't like the movie are just not going to participate because they don't want to feel alienated or like i don't like rating on other people's parade for example after spider-man no way home everyone was talking about how much they loved it I personally didn't think it was even a movie, but I wasn't going to say that to people because people were so happy. I wasn't going to be like, it's actually a terrible movie. Like, why would you do that? I got some, I got some low votes. Also, my five star post was yesterday. So people have already, you know, the the cycle, they forgot. Okay, well, for me, I watched both things back to back because I hadn't seen the thing. Truly, I don't know if you just voted on the poll, but I also had not, so I think we're probably going to average Wait, but each can, other out. Can y'all support me in that Like, if somebody is supporting something on their Instagram story and then asks other people to rate it, people that don't like it are just going to instinctively not respond. If I, if I know anything I would, about I would, Mike, if he yeah, doesn't I would like something... about telling that person Okay, bad. but Mike, you, you know that I don't care about, like... I, I don't care about fighting you, obviously. And I still was like, I'm not going to respond to this Insta poll because why would I rain on his parade? Like, he's happy. Oh, you hadn't even seen it. No, I had. You posted it today. Okay. All I'm saying is I did get some negative uh, responses. They were not all positive. But I got a lot of people replying with quotes from the film, uh, particularly the lay off that corduroy jacket of yours. That got several responses. Really? Can you explain the joke? So the context is Will Ferrell's – one of the moms says, "Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell is yelling at Byung Sun for taking the shot in the finals, and he says, never in a game. In practice, fine, but never take the shot in a game.' And then the the two lesbian moms are, you know, are getting upset, and they're going, you know, the one wants to yell at Will Ferrell, and she gets held back, and then she yells back, lay off of him, and Will Ferrell responds, you lay off of that corduroy jacket of yours.'" Or maybe take it easy. You take it easy on that take corduroy jacket that... of yours. What does that mean? I assumed it was a fat joke. But... No, 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 she's skinny. I think if anything, it's a lesbian <laughs> joke. I think like she's just you... like she's too devoted to that corduroy jacket. She wears it every day. She wears it in like every like, scene. You just said if anything, it's a lesbian joke. That doesn't make it a better joke. No, no but no, I was no. just clarifying. 
<laughs> also, no, I'm, I'm allowed to laugh at that. She wears it in every scene. Uh, she, she wears it in like yeah. every scene. A she's devoted also, to the jacket. But also, B, it's like the stupidest thing to reply to someone like lay off. The, he has nothing oh, to oh, say. Oh, so it's funny because he <laughs> yeah. couldn't think of. They couldn't yeah. script a better line of yeah. dialogue. Ha <laughs> ha! That's yeah. hilarious. It's just no, like when it's, the, it's just like when he gets yelled at, like you shut up out there, and he yells back, you shut up in there. Hysterical. Hysterical. Oh, my family used to say that to each other all the time. Uh, so I mean, maybe that's a bad thing. <laughs> uh. Telling each other to shut up, but like, well, shut up out there. And like you shut up in there, and that's how we would argue. And then brought my family together. So Shruti, if you don't like this movie, then you're really just like raining on my family's love for each other. <laughs> and do you really want that, guys? I have to pull out every tactic in the book for this one. Listen, I'm. This is why I was dreading recording this podcast because I'm not here to make y'all be like, guys, this is a bad movie and you're stupid for liking it. <laughs> I, know, I just I know. think that it is really a movie that is nostalgia baked. Like, I think y'all love it because you watched it as a kid when you were like, <laughs> when you were dumb little boys. Hey! <laughs> you just thought it was funny, but we're it's not funny. See, hey, see, we're I, still I, dumb I, little boys. <laughs> I, I'm going to disagree with that statement for. One reason and one reason only. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have called you dumb. You're both no. smart. But you know what I mean. Like, you I, had I a know immature you, sense of humor when you first watched it. I know what you mean, but at the same time, I can admit that there are many comedies from when I was younger uh, that I don't think hold up well and I don't think are funny anymore like they were 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. And this, I do think, holds up very well. I laugh every every single scene. Every scene. I find I, something to laugh at. I, I agree. And, when I was... Oh, sorry. Just to add on to that, I was prepping for this podcast. I was just writing down lines that made me laugh. And I had to stop writing down lines because oh, there were so it was many. just too much. It was too much. It was too yeah. much. But let's actually get into a bit of structure now that we've gone through and just, you know, and the, and the great thing about comedy is that it is subjective. So you, it's fine that you don't find it funny. I don't, it's it, to me, it's like not finding the office funny, but okay. Um, let's just start off. I think with Will Ferrell, right? Because truthy, which I never knew this, but you pointed out to me in a text the other day that Will Ferrell was nominated for a Razzie. For this yes. film, yes, um, which is crazy to me. It's okay. Can we talk about the tetherball scene where he gets hit in the back with a tetherball, and we just go to a shot of like him sticking his tongue out, and that's supposed to be funny? It I, he doesn't do physical comedy well, and this is such a physical comedy based movie that I'm not surprised that he got nominated for a Razzie because he keeps trying to be funny and isn't. I, I I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> the, I will. Okay, I I will say I will hand it to you. The tetherball scene is probably one of my least favorite throughout the films. I think the highlight of that scene is when he douses himself in Gatorade. Um, but I don't know. I just think his the transformation that he goes through from like suburban dad who's clueless about soccer to, to a absolute, wild animal, as his wife says, <laughs> to a wild animal on the sidelines, egomaniac. I think is hysterical, and I think it's actually very accurate of, like, youth sports in America. Like, if you ever played Little League or soccer or football, you know that coach. You know those parents who were lunatics on the sideline, who took it way too seriously 
for their kid being eight years Truthy, old. Did you ever play a lot? Like, did you ever play youth sports? I, much? I did. I played soccer as a kid. Oh, okay. I, I just that wasn't very good. <laughs> that, that was maybe one of my questions of like, is it maybe not relating to you because you didn't know these types of people? I mean, I, I guess I wasn't that into it. I, I, my, I remember my boss's husband was telling me a story the other day about his sons, or I guess also my boss's sons, um, youth soccer league where like this one coach is like constantly cheating to try and get ahead and like making up fake rules so like his son can just play goaltender the whole time even though you're technically supposed to have to rotate it you know dumb things like that which like I guess maybe if I was more familiar with those personalities but no I don't think so because like at the end of the day I still knew okay he's gonna go crazy while trying to coach this team sure. and so I knew where the plot was going and it's not like you, again, we've talked about this a lot where, like, a lot of people think subverting expectations in a movie makes it inherently a good movie, which isn't necessarily true. You can mm-hmm. go exactly with what the audience thinks is going to happen and still execute a very good movie, i.e. Top Gun Maverick. But <laughs> I just knew exactly what was going to happen, and the way the jokes were lining up and the way the actual plot beats were, like, not actually escalating, but were just, like, a series of sketches after one after another, I was like... I know where this is going, and I'm bored watching it unravel. Mm. Understood. See, I think I think his delivery of like so many lines. All right, let's hear him. Let's hear him. I I, I have hysterical. some lines recorded. Should we listen to them together that y'all think is funny? Sure. Or, okay. yeah. or should I just perform them all? <laughs> no, let's, let's, okay. let's listen to it. <laughs> you want to okay, start okay. with him telling um, the team that they should hurt each other? Okay. We win this. We're in the finals. We get a big lead. We gotta pummel these guys. We gotta pummel them at all costs. Dominate and hammer them. I want you to play dirty if you have to, but don't get caught. Young son, stay low, okay? That's easy for you. Just chop block them in the back of the knee. That'll work well. <laughs> chop, Ambrose, chop block them. Don't be afraid knee. to throw the elbow. If you break someone's collarbone, that's a good thing. That's what the medic's for. Otherwise, he's just sitting around. I, I did think that's what the medic's for was kind of funny. <laughs> that's such a good line. Also. Uh, also, the Beyonce "Stay Low." That's easy for you. <laughs> Other than the violence part, just like all the lines around it, surrounding it, are really good. The medic is for uh, the, the medic is always just sitting around. Give him something to do. Okay, and then y'all are also a really big fan of this scene that I didn't laugh that much, but maybe our audience will laugh re-listening to it. You're supposed to back me up and go get me juice boxes when I tell you. Now go get me a juice box. You know who you're talking to. I'm talking to the juice box guy. You're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm just thirsty. Why don't you go to hell? No, you go to hell. While you're there, why don't you grab me a juice box? I'm no juice box boy, I'll tell you that. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You're like your old man. I'm not like my old man. If it weren't for these kids, I would whip your butt. I can take a punch. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. I'll see you, Mr. Big Time Coach. I Okay, two things. I love that he refers to him as juice box singular and also the callback to the punch very subtle but when he says like i can take a punch you know calling back i i took a punch from iron mike dick i wobbled of it but i did not go down i love i love that callback to an earlier scene but go ahead i just think that a script that goes back and forth yes you are no i'm not yes you are no i'm not with no actual addition to the back and forth of the insults is lame I feel like that's more of a... I feel like they kind of let Mike Dick and Will Ferrell go at it. Yeah, maybe it was more improv. Again, I feel 
I don't want to be the person that's just like, no, you guys think this is funny, and no, it's actually dumb. <laughs> I think I think we have to come at this from a lens from this is funny for like the entire family. So some jokes are not going to land. It's a four ever. quad movie, exactly. <laughs> and so some jokes are not going to land for you now. But, but is like, it a four quad movie or is it a two quad movie? The dads and the sons are laughing. Maybe I, there I, were there were many women who responded to my poll with five stars. <laughs> There were, and many that you know, I could name them. Yeah, I'm... But okay, we won't give away their identity Name on them, this. and let me text them right now. <laughs> okay, hold on. You can you can cut this part out. We won't reveal okay. their identity. All right, so we've decided Josh and I are fans of, Wig- of Will Ferrell. Shruti's not the biggest Will Ferrell fan Maybe one day she'll catch a film of his that she genuinely likes. But moving on to some of the other main players in uh, in kicking and screaming, let's take a look at the other coaches. So you have Robert Duvall as Will Ferrell's father coaching against him and Mike Ditka as Will Ferrell's assistant coach. What are your thoughts on their inclusion into this film? I've, of course, Mike Ditka being like a one-off, like he's not an actor, and Robert Duvall being known for more serious roles. I think I've realized why I recur, or my recurring on this podcast has to do with actors playing themselves in a movie, because <laughs> it's truly one of my favorite things. And Mike Ditka playing himself mm. is, what a catch, what a great... I. I I wonder if it was, like, originally developed or written, like, script in mind with Mike Ditka or if it was another coach or if they had to eventually put him in because he's just so perfect for the role and he nails it. And it doesn't feel like he's not an actor. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. I don't think the film works without him, to be honest. I think he's that that pivotal uh, of a role and comedic in, in every sense, too. I love his inclusion when uh, Mark Avery asks if he knows Sammy Sosa, <laughs> that one gets me every time. There's also, I mean, there's something that just, I tried to look up, like, exactly how Mike Ditka got attached to this movie and couldn't really figure out about, in terms of if they were the part for him or not, but there's something so comedic just about the phonetics of his name, Mike Ditka, like, when they're like, we need Mike Ditka, you know? there's It's just something inherently comedic when they keep screaming his name back and forth at each other. So I'll give them that. And he was really known as being like the toughest coach in football for so long. Iron Mike. Iron Mike Ditka. And so like the in, fact. In American football. Yeah, American <laughs> football. Sorry. Uh, I, we'll do soccer and football for this. Um, but so I, I think the fact that they did get him for a children's soccer movie, like that's funny. Just like the idea of it in and of itself. And the fact that he delivers, a, I would say a good performance. I don't know if you agree, Shruti, but I think it's a really solid performance in this comedy. He doesn't, he plays it pretty straight. He doesn't, you know, overact too much. I don't yeah, know. I mean, I would say out of all of the issues that I have with this movie, Mike Ditka's acting is not one of them. I think he executes fine. Which he is, does a good job. Which is impressive because he's not an actor. He's a football coach. He's a he's a he's a um, he's a Super Bowl winning football coach. And also, nineteen eighty six, eighty five Bears. <laughs> uh, okay, so what about Robert Duvall then? Because obviously, this is a big change of pace with him. You know, he did The Godfather, oh, did he? Apocalypse Now. So, you know, 
a comedic role very different for him. What are your thoughts? I was joking about the <laughs> them being yeah, the yeah, Godfather. Yeah, yeah. Um, trying to get yeah. a rise out of you. I was gonna say right before you started, I was like, yeah, I didn't really know him from anything except kicking and screaming. <laughs> no, um, he also getting a great, um, getting a great iconic actor. You know, I feel like for all of Will Ferrell's kids movies, you kind of gotta get someone from the Godfather. You have James. Con it's, and Elf. it's very and Elf. similar to Jimmy Conn yes. and Elf. Yes. And, uh, That's my first And thought. then Robert Duvall on this. I, I think he's, uh, he, he just feels like, I don't know, I used to ref soccer for a ton of years and I've played my entire life. So I feel like he is just like the soccer coach that you had before you actually like got a legitimate soccer coach. It feels very close to home. Just the dad that cares only about winning, um, and my dad coached soccer, my soccer team, and he was, like, the one dad that was just, like, we're out there to have fun. And Your dad? I know, right? <laughs> he he understood the importance of sports and getting out there and having fun, whereas a lot of the other dads... Uh, it's all about it winning. It was all about winning. I could... I've met Josh's dad. Is he going to listen to this podcast? No. Okay. I've met Josh's dad, and he strikes me as a Robert Duvall type coach. I'm surprised he was such a supportive dad. He he actually helped run the league, too. Like, he was really invested in it, you know? I don't know. Sports are important to growing up, and the whole thing was, if you're not having fun, then, you know, what's the point of doing it? So... Um, I mean, maybe his dad was a Robert Duvall type character, and he's a real Phil Wellston. Maybe your dad went through the entire kicking and screaming experience, which is why you are so connected to this movie. Yeah, I mean, we watched it so many times. You did. Your up. dad loves this movie. My dad loves this movie. Yeah, we had lo- it on DVD. We did not have a lot of DVDs. Those folks listening up. to this podcast who like haven't had the privilege of meeting Mr. Feinblatt. He doesn't smile. I've never seen that man smile <laughs> once. And I live with Josh. He came and visited and stayed with us for a week. Never saw him smile. He did help me change the key car battery to my car because he's like a very practical, helpful man, but not a smiler. You'd think my dad would just be like the daddest dad of all dads, but no, he's a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, how did you feel about Robert Duvall? Again, I think he's the perfect antithesis to Will Ferrell. They play off each other really well, I think. Um, in, in his- I just, he, again, he doesn't learn his lesson, oh. so I'm mad. He doesn't say, like, I was, he, he does never acknowledges that he stole the Pele ball from Will Ferrell. Like, he's just like, oh, thanks for it back. Like, no, he should acknowledge that he stole that ball he's from He's an old man. He's not going to change his ways. Maybe this is really a lesson for me, not realizing that sometimes my, there are some things my parents just won't understand, and I need to come to terms with that. <laughs> exactly. I think there's a lot we can all learn from this movie including the fact <laughs> you should always pass it to the Italians. I know. That's what I was going to say. So Mike, this, really this did, movie, okay, can we talk about the Italians? Yeah. This yeah, didn't, let's do this it. didn't bother you at all, Mike. Like the one reason I'm not super upset about this Byung-sun, the Asian kid of the lesbian parents on this team, both being reduced to the their own identity, just the Asian kid or just the lesbian parents is that they also have this weird Italian trope in the movie where they're literally like, just pass it to the Italians, the nephews of some meat butcher in the district who's like, there's nothing more important than meat. And just another trope of just like laughing, I guess, at the Italian-ness of this group, but it's fine because it's funny. Yeah, well, and also by the way, I'm just going to keep doing this because every time you mention a new scene or a different premise, it just makes me think of a quote. And I love when he's introducing... 
the Italians, and he's like, they're, you know, they're apprentice butchers. And Mark Avery goes, he goes, what, were the blacksmiths and candle makers too busy? <laughs> and then Mike Dicka tells him to shut up. Um, no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, and I remember, you know, when we were uh, doing Moonstruck, that I hated how Italians were portrayed in that film because it kind of portrayed Italians as like sleaze bags. But in this, to me, like kicking and screaming, the inappropriate jokes, the depictions doesn't bother me, I guess, because it's like so goofy and in like based in a children's story that it's not malicious in my mind. It's not like some of the more mature 2000s comedies that I think really do cross a line and probably just are making jokes at the expense of you know, of, of different people for the sake of doing it. Um, like they're making fun of the Italians because they're good. Um, I <laughs> don't have a problem with that. Minority <laughs> <trope>. <laughs> huh? It, she, she said it's a model minority trope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mike, here's the thing. Also, I mean, a lot of it is true, right? I mean, for you, you were, they you won were, the World Cup the next year. I loved praise the Italians. And, I'm all for it. And plus, like you can relate to a lot of considering you're late to start this podcast because you were what putting together meatballs. I was eating. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was having Sunday pasta dinner. That's meat why. comes first. It did come first today. That's true. <laughs> but also, like Umberto, the the butcher, spot on, spot on. I've I've been to a version of that Italian shop so many times. And I just love the whole, the whole play of like the family dynamics, him and his nephews. And then, um, the other, the other guy and girl working with the uncle, like you never really discover what their relationship is, but how the women is, how the woman is trying to like, Mm -hmm. you know, go along with him. And then, when they're on the phone with uh, with Phil, he's like, I'm getting really sick of this meat comes first nonsense. And he's like, do I have to say that? Because that's going to cause some sort of dramatic scene here. <laughs> I don't know. For me, it just nails it. Hysterical. It also made me miss like those family Italian delis because there's not a ton of them out here in L.A. where Shruti and I live. Shocker. And, <laughs> and it made me miss you, Mike. You know, I, Every time mm-hmm. I see this movie, I'm going to think about you. Because I feel like there's a little bit of that Italian deli in you, Mike Riccardi. You fed me so many times good Italian food, and I wish I could be in the Massimo. What? What? what is there the name? John Piero. John Piero and Massimo's huh? family's deli. Yep. There. Yeah, it's. What's the name of it? It's. Uh... Yeah, I couldn't think of it. Should I just say again? I wish I could be in Massimo and John Piero's Pier- deli. I think it's Pirandello's. Pirandello's. It's on the truck. That's really impressive if you pulled that one out. Yeah. There is a There's a featurette that the Kicking and Screaming producers released called From Rome to Hollywood about how they cast these two Italian soccer players. I couldn't actually get access to it, um, but I read a Cinema Blend article that talks about it. And apparently they went through like more intense casting for these two soccer players than they did like anything else in the movie. So I mean, I guess they did a good job. Those, ki- really? those kids can Why? play soccer. Just because of, like, yeah, because I think, of the skill. Yeah, I think they wanted like actual skilled players to make it easier to film it. Okay. Yeah, because they uh, 
they don't have any other acting credits <laughs> ever after kicking and screaming. Yeah, soccer is not a which is a shame. Soccer is not a thing you can fake really well, like being able to know how to do. And like, there are some characters in this movie who are clearly not very good at soccer, but also it's rec soccer, so like that's fine. Yeah. No, but- there's another featurette called "Behind the Net: The Making of Kicking and Screaming," <laughs> <laughs> and it has footage of the like coach kind of like like the onset coach that they had to help the kids with this. And they talk about like, at the end of the day, you know, these kids were doing a lot of actual soccer playing that they filmed. And I think the coach was actually a very supportive, helpful guy to have on Mm. set. So it's nice that it didn't seem like a very toxic soccer environment. Yeah. This, this is, well, so it's, this is one of the better, I think. (laughs) I mean, it's the highest grossing soccer movie. It's the highest grossing. This is one of the better portrayed soccer on screen. Cause there are some that are like, so bad. Wait, how just, is she's the man? Is she's the man bad? Um, it's not great. It's not the worst. I'm trying to think of. Yes. I think we should probably do she's the man on this podcast. I think it is a spectacular movie. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. I think it's a better it's, movie it's, than this one. I, I remember Ben really, like Beckham being pretty bad. I feel like I like Ben to like Beckham, but yeah, it's not. It's not that even good. some early Ted Lasso um, stuff is like not great. I feel they stepped it up in season two. They realized mm-hmm. the one thing they stepped up in season but two is the soccer ability. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny because I did read a review on Letterboxd where somebody, somebody European was complaining like, "Oh, I know they don't take soccer too seriously in America, but this is a sham." Like some of the scenes, they didn't even try. Like the ball goes out of bounds which it does i notice it goes out of bounds and they still play but like whatever and he's like they kick it one way and then it goes in the net from a completely different angle but and i'm like dude they scored two goals one by forming a flying v wedge down the field (laughs) and another by forming a mega person and like that's your gripe is that like the ball rolled out of bounds like that's that's part of the fun is it's not that serious and it's just like a fun it's wreck soccer comeback story yeah exactly also if the ball goes out of bounds and the ref doesn't call it and there's only one ref you just keep playing i don't know about you yeah yeah you don't say it's, anything it's not that it's not that big of a deal um also i'm just impressed by the fact that those two goals that you mentioned the flying v wedge and the mega person are legal. They're technically legal. You can do that. And I've never seen anything yeah, that Yeah, I mean, it, just, it would just never happen. I, probably you not. Know, but but and there, are there better ways? But they rehearsed it. They rehearsed exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, a lot of the names of the kids were names of the crew members. So, like, the kid that attacks uh, Phil on oh, the gladiators, he's Apatow. But the best one is the kid with the sunscreen. Do you know his full name is? Wait, remind me who the kid with the sunscreen is. The mom, like... Puts his- oh yeah. Okay, that is also like, what yeah. kind of a mom is grabbing a son in the middle of a no, soccer no, game? No, no, no. I've truly seen that. Okay. That's not. That's not. Really- <laughs> but she's not even applying sunscreen in a way that'll actually protect him from the sun. I know. I know, but I, I know, but it's so funny because then she, she's like, "Don't forget, pass it to the Italians." Like, like I, I just, I love, I love how into it all the parents are. That they're just like, they don't. At this, the parents care more about winning than they care about their kids. Which is extremely accurate. Yeah, also, some fun behind-the-scenes facts. Uh, Jesse Dillon, the director, uh, he is Bob Dylan's son. So you know, uh, like a Rolling Stone. What else has he directed? Uh, nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a couple things, but nothing of, of note. Doesn't matter. Kicking and screaming is the greatest artistic contribution I ever Dylan ever made. made. <laughs> At least with things that are rolling, right? And also the writers, which, yeah. truly, I feel like a lot of your problems come with the script. 
They also wrote Space Jam, The Santa Claus, and Are We There Yet? Pretty big movies. How do you like the original seen... Space Jam? Yeah. I have not seen the original Space Jam. Nor have I seen Space Jam A New Legacy. I don't know why I specified that. <laughs> the Santa Claus movies are actually the first appearance I ever made on a podcast. My friend asked me, Colby, a Chaos on the Set guest, asked me to come on his podcast to discuss the Santa Claus movies. So it's you would have to say that this writer is basically my podcast origin story, and I owe it all to him. And now uh, you're slandering his film. Leo. <laughs> Leo Benevuti, which I feel like that gives him the Italian mm-hmm. card, and Steve Rudnick, um, which gives him, I don't know, the Phil Weston, you know, bad dad card, I assume. I don't know. I don't know anything about this guy. I'm sorry. So I want to run through a couple of tried and true categories here on Chaos on the Sat. Um, you know, we started doing these right at the beginning of the podcast. We don't do them every episode. It really depends on the film. But I, I feel like kicking and screaming is perfect um, to, to to dissect the film in this way. So I want to talk about, you know, favorite side characters, uh, most memorable scene. I, I guess in this film would probably be like funniest scene, um, any stray observations. But let's start with favorite side character. And if you want, you can choose two. You can choose one player and one non-player. Yeah, sure. No, I don't care about any men in this movie. <laughs> Come on. You gotta... If I had to pick a kid, it would obviously be Young Son, but I have a lot of issues with his portrayal as well, so I feel weird stumping for him. I'll let y'all take over the segment. <laughs> uh, he He's my favorite character in the entire movie. He's A, he's a maybe the cutest kid in a movie yeah, he's great. ever. And B, he's every single thing he he's says. He's cuter than Archie Yates in Jojo Rabbit. Honestly, kind of. <laughs> oh, every, damn. Everything he says is so funny. And half of the quotes that, like, I quote this movie often, like, in my daily life, people don't even know I'm quoting it. But anytime anyone says faster, I say faster, 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 just in my head or out loud. Um, pretty much half the, more than half the quotes that I wrote down in my favorite quotes were all Beyond Song. Ugh. Um, let's see. So he's my favorite character and player, but I have another favorite side character, and that's he doesn't have a name, but it's the referee. Because a, I feel for this guy. B, uh, I mean, just he has to deal with all the parents, and I was there. I was a referee. Also, he's got a toupee, and it gets taken off, and you know that's embarrassing. I mean, maybe in two thousand five that was funny. Like we've seen that joke so many times now that I was like, okay, that's fine. Fair. That's fair, but. My favorite part is he kind of also deserves it because he doesn't remember that Phil is his neighbor. He's like, hey, where do I know you from? And Phil's like, well, you've been my neighbor for like 10 years. He's like, that's not it. I'll figure it out. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I like him. I don't feel bad for this guy, even though, I mean, I've been there. I've been there. Okay, my favorite player is Mark Avery, a.k.a. isn't he Beans? What's that from? Yes, he is. Uh, in the uh, Even Stevens movie. Yes. Okay. I've I've seen people refer to him as Beans. I've never seen it. To me, you've never seen the Even Stevens movie. No. Oh man, no. that movie to is me, funnier than this movie. No. To me, he is Mark Avery always. Uh, Special I shout love out to him in Cheaper by the Dozen as well. True. Yep. He is in that. But I just I love his quotes. I love when uh, he sits the bench in that first game. We're gonna get killed, you know. Uh, all his wisecracks at Mike Ditka, talking about the Italians. You know, they they score and score and score and score and score and score. I'd take like an Advil. I had a headache. He, 
Um, he's also the introduction to the team when yeah, they say like, "I'm having a baby." He's having a baby. No hitting the baby. Is there a better way to introduce that team? Because I don't know. I feel like every kid I knew who didn't play soccer or stunk at soccer just put the ball under their stomach was like, I got a baby. And you're like, it's not funny. But I feel like they also took it from the movie. Very common in youth soccer leagues. Um, but I also love the, the – there's a tiny tidbit. You could hear it in the finals game if you're listening to the radio announcer when they start forming the flying V – and he's got oh, the yeah. ball on his neck, and the guy goes, Mark Avery leads the league in fewest minutes played. Um, <laughs> which is such a great line. Yeah, which I think is, I missed that line. That is really funny. Which is such a great little, like, statistic to throw in there, you know? So he's my favorite player, although I do have a special uh, spot in my heart for Byung Sun and his, uh, you know, knee cup method. Um, <laughs> but my favorite... Uh, mm-hmm. My other favorite side character is one of the parents. Um, I don't know his name, but it's the bald guy who's like always like hovering on the sideline, like talking to Phil. Um, I love how amped he gets with the whole Italian thing and like waving the flag and all of that. Uh, But I also just love, you know, like he picks up the clipboard after Mike Dicka throws and asks if he can keep it. (laughs) <laughs> asks it how much do you think the toupee costs i to me he's the funniest of all of all the parents so those are my two who do you guys think is the best not including the italians who on the tigers is the best soccer player because my mm. answer might shock you i would say truthy as an outsider for <laughs> soccer who do you who do you who, yeah. who are you impressed by who are you like oh or who did you, you see yourself? You don't want me contributing to this. I think you should just, you know, you teased it already. Your answer is going to shock us. What's the answer? Ambrose. That guy, A, he's got a foot on him. I don't know if you remember when, um, when, when uh, during the final game when he eats the worm. Not Ambrose. Uh, I don't know the name of the kid, but he, Hunter, Hunter, Hunter eats, eats the worm, the worm uh, to distract the goalie and then Ambrose just yeah. boots it like half the field. That's also impressive. Both goals in that final game came from Ambrose, and then he has the kind of assist when he puts Biangsang on his head. Yeah. Also, he's, he's killing himself for the love of the game, coach. <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. I like that. And line. he has the ability to break someone's collarbone. He can really do it all. He's an enforcer, that's, a goal scorer. It's a that's a good observation. I, I was gonna say. I was gonna say Jack. Because Jack assists the mega person mm-hmm. header, and also Jack is like the first person on the Tigers to score a goal when Ditka takes over and they finally like get their first goal. He's the one that scores it. So I think he kind of comes in maybe with being one of the more skilled players already. Yeah, existing more traditionally, on the team. yeah, skilled. But yeah, Ambrose uses his uh, advantages. His his height and his strength to his advantage. Which Very fair. I, uh, um, I yeah. I, okay. I also also one of my points that I think I've been thinking about is that this mo- this movie is funny for funny's sake. Like, there's a lot that doesn't need to be in this movie, but like the whole like when the parents of Beyonce give uh, Phil the book, they're like, "Our child is like." Very shy. Yeah. This helped us. And the book is my child, child is, is shy. shy. Yeah, or even That's just like funny the... for funny's sake. Yeah, is is that funny? Yeah, I 
Yes. Okay, is this funny? Let's let's listen. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who's your son? Young son. Oh, I see. Actually, I, you know what? I don't see. I'm sorry. I. Oh wait, now I see. Word every game, uh -huh. not like a lot of the other parents. No, 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 not like the other parents at all. Huh. <laughs> better. You're better than the other parents. <laughs> oh, so they're better? No, no. I mean, I mean, they're di well, they're different. What do you mean different? No, I, you're different because you're better. How are they better? No, look, you're you're both better, different, in a different but better way. Okay. You know what? Let's get to it. A little early to start playing favorites, Phil. So this is the scene where it's so hilarious that Will Ferrell can't realize that the parents of this child are lesbians. Oh my God, laugh out loud, hilarious. I'm dying, guys. <laughs> All I'm going to say is I think if you were in 2005, that sort of situation actually would be somewhat surprising to some people. I don't think too many people would have that kind of interaction often. Also, for better or worse, and yes, there are jokes at their expense, but I think the film actually shows them as good parents, and I think it's actually like bold to include it in a children's film when in the year 2022, we get two seconds in a Pixar film, and it's fucking groundbreaking. So forgive me <laughs> if... I think this film actually did go out on a ledge. I would agree. <laughs> but also, I don't want it to seem like, oh, yeah, I've been in this situation a ton of times where I didn't know, you know, you know what I mean? Um, no, I think the representation is, uh, it's a it's a, it's a first step, I feel like. it's not. I don't think it's a first step because it's still a punchline at the end of the day. In certain situations, yes. But I think in other situations, it, it does show them being, you know, two of the better parents on the team looking after their son. But this is a model minority thing again. It's still annoying to be modeled down to a stereotype, even if that stereotype is positive looking. I, I think the punchline is yeah, but they how are. stupid Will Ferrell is for not, or Phil is, for not understanding. Like, it's pretty obvious that yeah. like, those are his parents. And he's like, he doesn't get it. Because, you know, and like, I, look, it's not a perfect Let me, let me ask you this. What is the difference between that and the gay witch hunt episode of The Office. What's the difference? I mean, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of difference. Be that uh, We can get into that later. But that is Jim preying on Dwight's ignorance and then making actually layered jokes about the ignorance, like pointing the gaydar at Oscar's crotch. That is funny, and that is an advancement on a joke, not just, who, you're her mom? You're his mom? Then are you his mom also? I don't understand. How okay, can two how about, people be moms to one child? No, I, okay, no, that's I essentially that's, a, that's essentially what Michael does when he discovers Oscar is gay and he goes, maybe Angela and Oscar are having a gay affair. Like, that's, it's the same thing. Wait, are you trying to use comedy from The Office to defend comedy from kicking and screaming? 100%. You can't I, do that. That's I view not them, an argument. I view them in a very similar lens. Very you similar can't say, style. I think both of these jokes are the same, and therefore they're both funny. They're very sim. It's a similar punchline setup. Michael Scott is Will Ferrell in this scenario. See, I think the the difference is Phil is he's not tr he's not ignorant. He sorry, 
He's not. He's not malicious. He's not malicious. Whereas Michael is like dumb about it. It takes a second for him to realize, but then he's trying to overcorrect, which I think is the funniest part. Where he's like, "No, that's better. That's better." But yeah. and then then he gets caught, and they're like, "Oh, so the other parrots are better?" It's like, "No, they're equal, better." It's like, "How do I navigate this situation where you say one wrong thing?" Being, you know, I don't know. It, it's really hard for straight white men to get everything correct, and you know I feel for Phil Weston. I'm kidding. <laughs> that I didn't. I don't. I don't want it to sound like that, but uh, I, I think that's where the comedy is coming from. I just I, listen. I also don't think the title of the book "My Kid Is Shy" is also funny. I guess this comedy My child is shy. Um, <laughs> how dare I? You should. You of all people should really get the title of something correct. <laughs> so another category that I wanted to get to was funniest scene, and so. I guess starting with Shruti, was there any scene that you no. thought was funny? A single scene? I would say the line that I thought was funniest is when uh, Will Ferrell's dad is like, um, "It's I've been really lonely since your mom died," <laughs> and Will Ferrell says, "She didn't die; she divorced you." That was like the one time I laughed in the movie. That so was like five minutes in, and then it was just downhill from there. Downhill from right. there. I think I might have laughed one or two other times throughout the movie. Okay. Is okay, so let's cue mine up if you have the audio clipped. Mine is when Will Farrell is talking to the team underneath the pavilion about not following through on their game plan. It's come to my attention that lately I've noticed a, a general blatant disregard for our game plan. Ambrose. Yeah. Saw a bunch of nonsense out there. What was going through your head out there last week? I was breaking my back for you, Coach, because of my love for the game. <laughs> Liar! That's a great lie. Jack. What? Who are you supposed to pass the ball to? The Italians. Right. Alex, when? When I come in contact with the ball. The instant you come in contact with the ball. That's our strategy. It's one of the many plays we've worked out. It's the only play we've worked out. How many sarcastic pills did you take this morning? Coach, I'm just... Well, Coach, you're just trying to... And, and I love the continuation of that scene because it's one of the I feel like the longer through line scenes in the film right because the the very next step is when uh the moms show up with Byung-sun and they don't have the Italians with them and he screams dove sono mi italiani which I quote all the time and then it proceeds to him being on the phone with Umberto asking about him and yelling at the family celebrating the birthday in the park to shut up and i think for me like that's the best sequence in the film there's so many jokes layered throughout it it's it's my favorite by far i think it's really hard for me to decide because every time i think of one i'm like i love that scene and then i'm like oh my god then there's this other scene i can't miss out on one so just the one that's uh top of my head right now is um when they come off the truck and they're all covered in blood and and oh yeah what's his face from 30 yeah. rock is the coach it's the coach of the vultures and they're like uh one of my kids forgot his socks all right we forfeit all right vultures run run to the cars as fast as you can uh it's great because it works in the movie one final segment i want to do is the chaotic questions corner you know random thoughts you may have throughout the film what's up with this why does why doesn't this make sense 
what do you guys have? Okay, my number one question is I do not understand the coffee subplot of this movie. First of all, Will Ferrell, I guess he has never drank coffee in his entire life. And so now he's... It's a vassal constriction. And so now he's on this new high of drinking coffee, but he thinks he can only get coffee at this like one coffee shop. So like when the line is really long, he's going to have an aneurysm because there's no other way that he can get coffee. Did this subplot work for you? I just don't understand it whatsoever. Starbucks wasn't that big in 2005. You Other know? coffee shops still existed. Mm. Yeah, but he was a frequent... He was he had a, <laughs> a, a movie card, all right? He was a frequent <laughs> buyer. And I love that it it's like the, the rematch between him and the Hummer woman mm-hmm. after she stole his parking spot earlier Which is also a weird thing. She's like... He's like why are you taking up two spots? And she's like, oh, well, I need to because I drive such a big car. Unlike you, like, driving an environmental vehicle is considered lame. It, I don't understand. Yeah, in 2005, Hummers were all the rave. What do you mean? Yeah. I'm sorry. I was in fourth, third grade, so I don't remember okay. what cars everyone was excited about. <laughs> well, nevertheless. But I do remember environmentalism still being cool when I was in third grade, so... We had Earth Day. <laughs> For me, the coffee through line, I think, is just like a great um, a great vessel to sort of hitch alongside the transformation of him becoming an egomaniac. It's just like another thing uh, that is changing his personality that he's getting addicted to. Much like getting addicted to the coffee, he's addicted to winning. And I think it just... Maybe, yeah. Is it, like, just, like, some random sketches thrown in there? Sure. But it's a comedy. It's a children's comedy. I'm laughing my ass off. It doesn't matter. And as someone who doesn't drink coffee, I am worried that if I did, this is what would happen to me, you know? So I think it's a real cautionary tale. So you you learn a lesson, too. There you go. I don't know. I just, I love coffee. I love espresso. And so... This movie, if I anything, just, is it, deeply I, Italian. I, I relate. All right, Josh, what's your question? Awesome. Um, I have a few, but first is, what is a whirling dervish? I don't know. I, I, I think of it as like kind of a Tasmanian devil type I of thing. I don't even remember the context mm. of that in this movie. Uh, it was when he first gets home from the first practice. Uh, he's talking, Phil's talking to his wife, and he's like, there were a bunch of whirling dervishes. I don't even know what that is, but that's what they were like. Cool, next question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, you just hate this. I think we've been recording for over an hour on this movie that's going to get 36 listeners, and the longer we record, the longer it'll take me to edit. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, there'll be a lot cut yeah, out of there. That doesn't mean it'll take me less time to edit it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I, I got to give it up. I have a question. What, what range do we think the music budget was in for this movie? Because there's a lot of big needle drops. High. It's got to have been, right? Because, I mean... There are. It's. I think it's one of the all-time great soundtracks. To be honest, you have "Chariots of Fire," the Black Eyed Peas, Stevie Wonder covering the Beatles. Then we have Queen. We are the champions. Yeah, uh, I, 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 the, the tiger. tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, all-time all-time great. great. All-time great. Just, pod, or all-time great soundtrack. Uh, I almost said all-time great podcast, which this is. Oh, by the way. exactly. Yeah. I, I only have one real plot hole in this movie. I don't know about you, Mike, but uh, my thing is, is Phil good at cutting meat? Oh, that 
Yeah. Or do they take a lot of instruction, give him a lot of instruction, which I feel like would have taken even longer, Yeah, that's a good point, because, like... also, are the kids really good at cutting meat? Yeah, like, the other butcher stands up, like, the professional butcher stands off to the side to let him go at it with a chainsaw. That's a good... It's a good question. Uh, I have two questions. One, what do you think happened to the finches? (laughs) Oh, that's a really good (laughs) one. Do you think the kids kept those finches? Do you think they just released them into the wild i think you have no choice but to just let them fly out into your backyard did did they give anybody salmonella i think they Um, probably caused a lot of salmonella in the ecosystem i feel like we need to check in in the sequel like 15 years later maybe the area is like all the birds have died died. the whole ecosystem is messed up thanks phil weston and then my my last one is did you all notice my boy sam weston had the lord of the rings (laughs) poster in his bedroom Big fan. Which which Lord of the Rings movie? Um, or is it a book? I think it was. I want to say it was Return of the King because I remember it would have made more sense to be. Return yeah, of the because King. Return of the King came out the year prior to this film, and I recall seeing Aragorn on the cover, so I think it was Return of the King. But that I mean that's quick timing. That's. He's really up on his movie game, so shout out to him. I mean, it was probably one of the biggest movies of the time. <laughs> I don't think it was hard to know that Lord of the Rings is popular back then. I know, but I'm just saying, like, there only being a year between Return of the King and Kicking and Screaming, like, <laughs> by the time it got released, when they were filming this to get that poster, I'm just saying, you know, they were really yeah, up on it. Know. Shout out to the production designer on that For one. For sure. And then lastly, you're going to think I'm crazy for this, but I have a question for both of you. So let me just sort of lay the the groundwork here. On Letterboxd, there was a user that watched Twilight every single day for an entire year. So 365 consecutive viewings of Twilight. How are they doing now mentally? (laughs) I don't know. Okay. I don't know if they're around Follow up. (laughs) Follow up, some another user was inspired and did the same thing with Hunt for the Wilder People, Taika Waititi's film. I feel like it's a little uh, bit more palatable to watch every day. Which is which is also an amazing film. Um and, and so like Letterboxd, they have like a blog, they interviewed these users about their experience, etc. And so as I rewatched Kicking and Screaming in back to back days, I thought you know what, this may be, if I had to do it, watch one film every single day for a year, I think I might choose Kicking and Screaming. And I'll oh tell you why. Oh my God, no. Yes, I'll tell you why. Because it's just sketches and not really a movie. <laughs> no. No. I'm on the same no. page as you, Mike. Great story, great plot. Uh, first, I think you do have to choose a film that is short, right? Mm-hmm. So like Lord of the Rings, my all-time favorite film, could not watch it every day. It's too long. So it's got to be like an hour and a half. Two hours would be pressing it. So it, it it's that's one thing it's doing right. Second, I think you do need a, a lighter-hearted film. Um, you know, you don't want to watch something super dramatic every single day. You're saying you don't want to watch lastly, like Schindler's List every day? For no, no. And then lastly, I think it has to be like full of funny jokes and scenes, right? Like... So for me, because I'm laughing at this every two minutes, I feel like if I was rewatching it every day, like some scenes might get old, but then like other scenes would get funnier and I would pick up on little stuff. 
much like I do when I rewatch The Office, you know, for the hundred times that I have. Um, so I think it would be. It would be my film that I would rewatch every single day. Oh my God. Sounds like uh, a torturous experience for me. This is up there. I think this is maybe the movie I've seen the most just because we had it on DVD growing up. Um, my other shout is also a short movie, but it's also my favorite movie of all time, partially because I can rewatch it so many times and still love it and still think it's great. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which is only an hour 38, mm. three minutes longer than Kicking and Screaming at an hour 35. So uh, I'm with you on that one, Mike, at least your rationale. But then again, I also get paid to watch Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves every single day, which everyone should check out the oh trailer God. that just came out this week at Comic-Con. Um, I get paid to watch that every single day, all day, every day. So uh, I guess maybe that's my answer because I'm coming up on nine months of it anyway. <laughs> I mean, both these movies are movies that have, like, you know, they're sketches. You, like, especially Ferris Bueller's Day Off has so many famous scenes. It's the, you know, it's the parade scene. It's this scene. It's the restaurant scene. Like, obviously, if you have a movie built by so many iconic scenes, you're going to want to watch it every day. Yeah. Another movie that has a lot of iconic scenes. Oh, God. That was released in May of this year. Top Gun Maverick. I mean, every, listen, I know because when I went to the movie for the second time, my friend that I was with was like, hey, can I go to the bathroom right now? And I was like, um, yeah, I guess. And then I realized what scene was about to come up. And I was like, no, you actually can't go to the bathroom. But then he went to the bathroom anyway, and he came back just in time for the football on the beach scene. And I was like, oh, I, I'm glad you went to the bathroom when you did because you didn't miss this scene. And it made me realize that every scene in Top Gun Maverick is just so damn rewatchable. I've rewatched a scene of Top Gun Maverick after almost every AMC movie I've gone to see this year. AMC, please don't sue me. But it's a blast, and I can't wait for it to be on streaming, although I need it to stay in theaters until Labor Day weekend for me to win our long-term bet. It's a long rewatch every day. It's only two hours and 11 minutes. Okay. Really? It felt longer, but Mm -hmm. it's a good answer. Also... A great film. Kicking and Screaming, five stars. Top Gun Maverick. Oh my Top God, Gun Maverick, four and you. a half. <laughs> All right. All right let's and I think that'll do it for us before Shruti has an aneurysm. We'll probably <laughs> never cover another Will Ferrell and, movie on this podcast because. No, I think we should do Stranger Than Fiction. I'm eager to figure out how Stranger Than Fiction goes. All right. That's his last chance, though, with you, I, I think. I, okay. I can tell Shruti's heart is just pounding through her chest right now, and I might need to come and slap her out of it. Okay. okay. Josh is trying to make a weird joke about the fact that Will Ferrell has an anxiety attack in this movie, and then his wife just slaps him to calm him down. Anyway, Josh, thanks for joining us and making <laughs> jokes about anxiety attacks. Where can people find you on the internet if they want to see more of your jokes about anxiety attacks? Uh, my, my Instagram and Twitter is at Josh Feinblatt, F-E-I-N-B-L-A-T-T. And then my letterboxed, which I now have since our, my last appearance, is at uh, Josh isn't fine, F-E-I-N. Uh, no punctuation anywhere in there. So follow me there. Mike, how about you? You can follow me on Letterboxd at M. Riccardi and read my five-star reviews of Kicking and Screaming. <laughs> and you could follow me on Twitter. You know, I'm in a good mood. At, at Mike underscore Riccardi. And this will show. <laughs> it's only when Kate isn't here. And it'll also show who is listening to this podcast to see if I get Ooh. any new followers. I think by now people will have stopped listening. 
You never know. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Micromorante. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Shruti Morante. And then you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd on all three platforms. We are at Chaos on the Set.